And welcome to another episode of Supply Chain Next. This is Richard Donaldson, and I have the pleasure of introducing Deborah Dull, who is here today. Hey, Deborah. Hi. Hey, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for jumping in and, and taking the time to, to sit down and have a conversation on supply chain with us. Well, you said supply chain. I heard inventory. <laughs> And I'll never miss a chance to talk inventory. I can tell that the first time we chatted. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, honestly, these are so much fun just to get to know people who are in the space. And, and more importantly, I think you probably feel the same way. It's like you, you, once you start poking around and meeting people, you really begin to see the enthusiasm that's out there um, with people. And you just draw on that energy from everybody. It's just great. So um, um, would love to get just an introduction about yourself and kind of how you got into supply chain. You don't have a typical path as many of us don't have typical paths and kind of what got you into this. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, So I actually have an academic path into supply chain, which is somewhat rare since the supply chain degree is relatively new itself and now wildly, uh, widely uh, available. and I was actually a marketing major to begin with because I grew up in a small town without much uh, career coaching. And I didn't realize that there were viable options for careers that could take me out of the country, uh, like, you know, almost any career. However, I figured everybody buys something, so I'll go into marketing. Uh, and it was during my marketing degree that I was required to take an introduction to operations management. And um, the professor I had for that really hooked me. Um, he had us plan a Thanksgiving dinner and then constrained our resources. So, uh, mm. one oven, one burner, right. and we did a work back schedule and I got to learn theory of constraints, uh, mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. So I was hooked, went into supply chain academically there, um, took a year off after school. I graduated at 21, mm. went to South America on not very much money and came back with even less. And, uh, thankfully Microsoft is hiring at the time and started with them. Um, and they built me into uh, just a tremendous supply chain professional. They're an outstanding organization there. And I started my master's degree um, while I was there. Uh, and that was really fun because um, I started studying the digital supply chain. This is back in 2010-11. Um, not a digitally enabled physical supply chain, a digital supply chain through removing bits and bytes. And the argument at the time was, is this an IT organization or IT function or is it a supply chain function? And, and were you in, just to kind of ask clarification, were you in then the technology supply chain group? So, uh, no. Package consumer goods. So, Xbox okay. service, yep. um, uh, software, when we still made yep. disks. Yep. Um, so in that kind of a realm. But it was interesting to me as a topic to be studying. Uh, and I'm so glad I did. I got to talk to the, to the Kindle team. I talked to the Sony team who ran uh, Netflix at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting uh, organizations and to learn about that backbone that then has become so important to the supply chains we have today. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, I pestered Microsoft for four and a half years to move me overseas. And I finally um, said yes. Uh, while I was in London, um, a bit of a sad story. I had promised to come back. I said, let me go do this thing really fast. I'll, co- I'll come back, I promise. <laughs> While I was there, uh, I was recommended for a role at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And when the Gates' call, you don't necessarily say no. You didn't, you didn't put it to voicemail right away? No. <laughs> um, uh, so I did, I did break a promise to, to the good folks at Microsoft, and I, I don't think they're still mad at me about it. I 
we've had a couple you can, of you can, call, you can call Satya and find out what he's thinking. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, and then I got to go uh, do use supply chain in a really cool, really hard way. Um, at the time and still now, supply chains are often what is um, preventing people from being healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I spent quite a bit of time between Ethiopia and Nigeria and several other African countries, but those are the big population areas and the, so the big areas of focus. And um, explaining supply chain to really, really smart people in ways that have to be easy to digest. And so mm-hmm. um, really delving into the world of, of how do we take the best practices in supply chain, but apply them uh, under resource constraint in frontier markets. Yep. And, you know, teach Bill and Melinda Gates why a supply chain so hard <laughs> was the premise of a learning session with Bill. So wildly interesting um, and a really interesting, cool way to think about my field. I think, I think my own uh, consideration about supply chain as an industry um, dramatically shifted during my time there to realize that, um, you know, I had this hypothesis that if I were to ever get a PhD, I suppose it'd probably be something I would study, but is, is the supply chain maturity the market of a supply chain, an indication of economic growth or a catalyst of economic growth. Mm. And this really became the the argument for, can I invest heavily in accelerating supply chain market growth in these countries? And if I could have made a great argument, then we would have gone gung-ho. I made an okay argument, so we went somewhat gung-ho and did a couple of really interesting investments there. Uh, and then I looked around the world and thought, um, gosh, what do I do from here? Right. So I'm a fundamentally, I'm a, I'm a builder launcher. I like to build new, new programs. And so in my time at the foundation, I, I went from, um, not a lot of money to a fairly sizable portfolio. Um, but those are all mostly five-year grants. And so as you think about, you know, the next five years, do I want to hang out and watch these grow inside or do I want to hang out and watch them grow? outside. Uh, so it was, a, it was an interesting time to shift and right. go find my next big adventure. And around the same time, I was introduced to the concept of uh, the circular economy uh-huh. and came into GE Digital. Actually, my hiring manager was also passionate about this topic. And if you think about the scale and industry uh, that GE has as a leader, there's just tremendous potential for um, overall global leadership one of the largest internal supply chains in the world, it may still be the largest. Um, They use almost every element on the periodic table Mm -hmm. um, across their product lines. Uh, And so it's been a really interesting space to learn a new industry. Um, Heavy industrial doesn't get a lot of love from consumers, but next time you go turn on a light switch, everybody take your hat off to the industrial world that it goes on. (laughs) Uh, so that's the the meandering life, and then I I was I I met Sherry Heinish um, actually on the internet, uh-huh. and we started a podcast together, and it's called the Supply Chain Revolution, and we did that because we looked at each other and we thought, gosh, there has to be another way, there has to be another way for us to show up at work, there has to be another way for us to um, shift long held paradigms from what she calls old school yep. supply chain to new school supply chain, and that brings us to today. That's yes. my whole story. There you go. I love it. It's the, uh, I mean, there's so much in there I can unpack, but uh, that's, a good, that's the good Cliff Notes version. However, the concluding question, though, is, and based on your profile, is then Circular Nomad. Tell yes. me. Tell people about that. It's a fascinating title. 
I love it. I wish there was an elegant way to get supply chain or inventory in there also, but it just got a little bit of a mouthful. So circularity is super interesting to me. The general premise says, how do we use the resources already in play in the world's economy as the only input to the world's economy? From a supply chain perspective, that is a fascinating challenge to go and solve. Uh, so that's taken up a lot of my my heart space and my mind space. These last I have a question. Let me double click on that for one second, because I think this also sets the stage for, you know, we talk about circular and we'll get into it, obviously, and that's that's sort of the front and center for you. But, you know, in our consumer lives, you know, we're all used to now the three garbage cans and composting and splitting up my garbage. It's like we've really, the consumers have really taken the whole circularity and really kicked it up a notch to the point even that I would even contend, uh, I was having a conversation earlier today that, you know, uh, buying new stuff now is more like people almost look at you funny if you're buying new things in consumer land. Like, you know, when you buy a new car, people are like, God, why didn't you buy like a two-year-old car? Or, you know, buying, you know, shopping at now the, I'll call it the, you know, secondhand stores. I mean, it seems like there's, it, it, it's in, I don't want to say it's in fashion, but people are just waking up to like, I don't need to buy new anymore. And, and, and also I'm recycling and I want to look for things that are sustainable in their supply chain practices. It's like consumers are seemingly 10 or 15 or even 20 years ahead of where the enterprise is. Why, why is that? What's, what's, you know, and, and cause you're attacking that, but what, what do you think? I mean, what's, what's been holding that back in the enterprise space? Yeah, that's a good question. So a couple of thoughts on, on the consumer, um, municipal waste makes up only a small slice of the waste pie. Uh, we can have an argument and many people like to, but the research that we can find says that municipal waste, so consumer office space, is less than 10% of the waste produced in a society. The rest is in construction and industry mm. almost equally. Uh, depending on which country you're in, some are growing much more rapidly and they have a ton of construction waste. Sure. Um, and so the consumer heart and mind um, when presented with a simple option, um, we'll almost always choose the better option. If it doesn't inconvenience a consumer and they know to choose the option, they'll choose the option. The challenge is the system behind the option. So there may be three garbage cans. Unless the regional waste facilities are set up for that, it becomes one garbage can. Right. So the small town I grew up in actually can't recycle glass anymore. And so every time I go see my parents, I dutifully bring my empty wine bottles back, <laughs> back across the mountains. Um, and this is happening a lot, right? And then, and then it becomes uh, one question removed of why do we even need to recycle it to begin with? A lot of countries uh, just wash their glass bottles and use them again instead of completely breaking them down and putting all of that resource and heat and power into making brand new glass where not just wash it with soap. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a lot of system um, in the background that I think is, is, again, where the supply chain professional is, I think, best suited to solve for circularity. Now, we need to give a tip of the hats to the material scientists and chemists of the world, and certainly the designers are here too, but mm-hmm. we're trained to look at the system and make the system work. If we only give one option, then that's the option that will be uh, selected. Mm-hmm. Now, why has an industry moved? I'm going to put this into two broad categories and I absolutely welcome debate. So you're, if, out, if you're out there and you aggressively disagree, please tell me. Oh, it's okay. I'll jump in. Trust we, me. We're not, we're not shy here with our opinions. We need more of you just generally to the whole world. If you have right. a thought on this, I'd love to talk because we don't have 
enough minds trying to solve for this right now. So one, at least in America, there is the perception that circular economy equals sustainability equals CSR equals losing money. Uh there is a gr- there's a tremendous business case to be made for investing in sustainable options, uh-huh. um, but they're solving for something different. Uh-huh. If you're losing money and you think you have a circular strategy, I'd argue you do not have a circular strategy. You should be making money um, with the business model you have at play. Now, there could be some elements um, that are at um, odds with you, which is the second big area, which is underdeveloped markets. Uh-huh. Um, if we well, can I ju- can I jump in? Sorry, sorry. There's yeah. be dialogue, and it's it's it's, it's some, <laughs> there's times I want to resist and let you go, and then there's times it's like, okay, I got to ask a question. All right, so so total agreement, right? I mean, circularity um, does not can actually circularity sustain circularity leads to sustainability from my my point of view, and then circularity is actually uh, can will improve business profitability and margins if adopted appropriately, right? So, and I know you and I have sort of shared that chart that I flew out there that kind of shows all that stuff, right? Um, but h- how has that been missing with people? Like, I, I know in my own direct experience, I was shocked at how much money we were sitting on, and and you know, at eBay, right? When I was when I was at eBay running on right. uh, the infrastructure there, you know, we'd buy hundreds of millions of dollars of hardware per year, run it for three years, just like you did at Microsoft. I, I knew all the people there as well too. Um, order of magnitude, about ten times more. But but the point being is you know, they were getting next to nothing. I mean, pennies on the dollar in residual value. And those things were worth 20, 30, sometimes 40% residual value, but they never thought to actually push that or put a KPI in front of people to actually realize that, right? So I guess the question I'm getting to is, is it just a lack of visibility and transparency and just no fault of anybody's ignorance that this is actually a very, you know, financially prudent path to profitability and improving margins. And that's actually one you're sitting on right now. You don't need to do anything. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that awareness is still lacking. Again, if I pick on the American market, we're just so far behind other developed markets uh, who are already further down the path on this. I think a lot of that comes from necessity. We're a resource wealthy market. We have a big role to play in several yep. of the industrial revolutions. Yep. <laughs> Um, and we got a lot of land mm-hmm. uh, and other countries don't have the land and they mm-hmm. are uh, under constraints that they have to go and do that. Uh, so I think there's two, two elements. The, the second one I was going to say, which I think is an answer to part of this question. I promise I'll come back and answer your yep. question is um, underdeveloped markets. Mm. Um, in speaking with um, Dirk, the CSO at Henkel, mm-hmm. he um, talks a lot about the research and investment that they're putting into secondary plastics. Mm-hmm. But the challenge comes when a big player will announce, you know, tomorrow we're using all secondary, then the secondary market for plastics is wiped. It's mm-hmm. all taken, all the capacity because they can buy it out. And so we're actually in this very awkward, not even quite to a teenager, I call it like a tween stage of not mm-hmm. enough supply and not enough demand and it's not meeting each other and the materials are really tricky. This is where we'll call upon our material scientist friends. Um, they're tricky stuff. What we mm. do to our materials is really prohibitive. And if I take an example from my world, we have a big problem with um, wind turbine blades. Mm-hmm. Well, carbon fiber, hard to deal with. And then mm-hmm. you cover it in uh, fire retardant. 
and mm -hmm. you literally can do nothing with it except mm -hmm. leave it as itself. Okay, so we've got some constraining factors on, on the market. Mm -hmm. And I think that has contributed to the lack of um, big, bold, major, clear path, copy and paste, uh, uh, stealable strategies, okay. which I think in, in, if we were to study the development of many of the companies that we would be looking to lead these areas, mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there's a clearer, simpler path on their perception. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's, a, it's an amalgamation of probably those three. Okay. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, no, no, no. I, I mean, I love it because I love where your head's going. And I don't think there's a, there's not a silver bullet answer, right? Short of, uh, in my experience, you know, especially when we're dealing with businesses and having been through, um, I think I told you the story when we talked earlier about, you know, deploying natural gas uh, uh, fuel cells uh, in lieu of direct power in one of our data centers at, in, in Utah, eBay. Big splash about that. Wasn't, wasn't quite economically the most prudent decision, but we made it based on, at the time, the CEO, John Donahoe, was, uh, who ironically moved over to Nike uh, recently uh, via ServiceNow, but whatever. Um, he, he really kind of greenlit it, right? I mean, he, it was part of his, like, I want to be sustainable, right? It was close enough economically that he's like, okay, we're willing to kind of eat a little bit of the cost. However, my point with this is, with businesses, I mean, it's always a nice to have, right, kind of thing when we talk sustainability, but Every, if you show how they can make money or dramatically reduce costs, speak to the CFO, right? And the tagline that I started working with was, for every capital asset dollar you spend to acquire something, provided it's not turned into a product, but it's used to run the business, build an oil rig, build a data center, um, you know, a warehouse facility, whatever, every one of those dollars should have some residual calculation at the back end. Right. And I and to be somewhat uh, uh, sensational, it's like, listen, for every capital asset dollar you spend when you're done with those things, you should be getting 10 to 30 percent of your money back. And for businesses that are spending and, and, and these top 2000 companies in the world are spending hundreds, tens and hundreds of billions per year. Right. That's significant money. Right. Or if I look at the 12 trillion dollars per year procured by the global 2000s, if I'm getting 10 to 30 percent of my money back off 12 trillion, that's big dollars. And that's going straight back to the business. And oh, by the way, that's 100% margin dollars, right? Because there's really no cogs to that at that point, right? Other than just selling it. Right. So that has always been, and, and, and I don't know why. I mean, I've got, every time I give that message, I see they're like, oh yeah, of course. And then, but then it doesn't turn into anything, right? So, and I, I think things are changing, but it always was sort of, you know, I don't think there was an economic tie to sustainability and circularity, in a way that was convincing enough that it was like, okay, this is a, this is first and foremost, a prudent business decision. Mm -hmm. The benefit is I'm being sustainable. Right. Of course. Right. Yeah. I, so I think that, I, mean, I don't know what you're thinking is in your conversations with that, but it's like, that's, but I don't even think people even, even supply chain people don't understand the power of the back end disposition cycle. Like everything's focused on procurement. Everyone talks about buying things. Oh no. I mean, let's be clear on who's the superstar kid in a supply chain. It's the right. strategic sourcing managers. Right. It's not the reverse supply chain people in a cupboard <laughs> under the stairs. I mean, if we just look at who has celebrity right. status in the right. supply chain. Right. And that's saying something because the supply chain people aren't generally the celebrities within the business. So it's like... No, which is right. also changing. Right, right. I mean, right. The, it's gone from no news is good news. I don't want to hear from you. Good job, you didn't mess it up. Um, actually, in one of our very first episodes, um, 
I talked to Lauren over at uh, Starbucks and she has a really funny version of the story of like, good job supply chain. You didn't mess it up. Right. That's our big one. And now all of a sudden we are being asked to be transparent and quick, yeah. agile and flexible right. and do um, capabilities that we've never, ever been asked to do. And part of that can be a shame on us for not being um, sweeping for mm -hmm. opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other is uh, a welcome to supply chain for the rest of the world, which I think um, is a great shift. So how do you, how do you, how do you, let me pull it forward into sort of the current context, right? So now we've got this craziness of COVID, right? Supply chain was becoming a top of mind topic anyways, pre-COVID. And, you know, I think you're in the same spot that all of us were as supply chain people saying our time has come, right? You know, coming into 2020, and we were looking at the decade of the supply chain, right? And legitimately laid out that, you know, if you pick the one part of the enterprise that's the least digitized, the least innovative, the least, and not because of their fault of theirs, it's, it's not. They were just never given the direction to do it, but that was all changing anyways. And then COVID, boom, supply chain's everything now, right? I mean, it is now, it's no longer just top of mind. It's like, I need a supply chain strat. Who's my supply chain person? <laughs> I know. Who the hell runs supply chain here, right? Yeah. <laughs> because we need them. And, and so it, it, and it never let a crisis go to waste. So how are you viewing both in kind of your practice, you know, circularity, you know, bringing this all to, because the opportunity is now, yep. right, to have that conversation and bring it forward. What, what's changing for you in the midst of COVID? Very broad question, but, you know, how is that changing what you're doing, how you're applying it, how you're talking to people, or you're still thinking about it? Yeah, uh, I think the element that's accelerated is to uh, look at circularity as a lever for disruption mitigation, um, which is a little, in some cases, it's too little too late, I guess. But as we start to rebuild and get ready for next time, um, and there's going to be another disruption, well, hopefully it won't be a global disruption, but there will be regional disruptions. Uh, they happen all the time. If we continue to have these long, long, complex, multi-company supply chains, and you know, we talk about networks, and yes, it's a network, but really it is, it is a chain. It might, it might not be straight, uh, but it does have one company to another company to another company. Um, and as we think about how long they are, it's causing a lot of the problems we're seeing today. Part of why they're long is because we're starting from a raw material every single time. And if you start from a mine or from an oil rig or from a forest, every time you wanna make something, you have to refine that, change it, mess with nature, <laughs> move the chemical makeup of a material and get it into a format that we want to use to produce something. And so if we consider shorter supply chains and the premise behind circularity is that you stay as regional as possible. So the idea is find resources and materials within a region, uh, repair or transform within that region, and then use it within the region. Uh, and if we had more of that model, we would see a number of benefits happen. First, uh, the disruption would be easier to understand and solve for because we see it. It's here in our region. It's not somewhere that is in Timbuktu off a supplier, 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 which I don't know a supply chain in the world that has a good relationship with every single supplier in their network, unless they're really short. <laughs> and this is why a short supply chain is, is what I call a happy supply chain. Um, you get a benefit of 
most likely, this is a blanket statement, so I'm ready for the discussion. Most often, uh, better, more ethical treatment of people who work in that supply chain because it is regional, its own regionally. You don't have external pressure or external funding or external expectations pushing on your region. And so now we start seeing how circularity and sustainability are what Sherry calls close cousins. Uh, and they are, they're related, but they're not solving for exactly the same thing. So we can continue brainstorming the ways that if we have, let's say a shorter supply chain, more regional, um, we're using resources that are already existing instead of starting all the way over again, we have a more regenerative um, resource base. And so yes, even elements like toilet paper <laughs> could become easier to make more rapidly and more on demand um, than the long supply chains we have now. And let's not be mistaken, we have the materials that we need all exist on the planet. There is enough food for everyone on the planet. There's enough toilet paper for everyone on the planet. It's just not in the right places. And so they call it a big global supply chain fail, but it's, it's not a supply chain fail, really. Um, it's a shift from a linear economy built for obsolescence and one-time use to a linear, a circular economy, <laughs> which is what we're getting to. And I think, you know, one element that I try to remind people of is that the average, even, you know, consider yourself an above average worker, professional in society does not spend their day thinking about the linear economy that we just call the economy. You might check your 401, you might check your stocks, maybe, uh, but we don't really sit around thinking about, gosh, what are the major impacts of the linear economy that again, we just call the economy. But there is a subset of us of just exceptional nerdism and joy who do sit around and imagine what could happen in a circular economy. Um, and I think for the most part, the you know consumers won't know. And I think there's a very strong argument to be made that the majority of consumer behavior wouldn't change. Yes, we'll have to have them participate to some extent, but this is where I argue the system must shift to be the system, that, the only system and the system that works for circularity and consumers continue uh, to go about their day. Now, what they're going to notice are elements like uh, there's no more single-use plastic. They pay a deposit on a glass and return it somewhere else. Um, the system has been built for them to flow, and they will move through it. Um, but I don't think the majority of, of consumers um, should need to feel the burden of the world upon them. Now, when they go to work, yes, I will accept the burden there. Um, but there's one element I'd love to also give a shout-out to. Um, that the majority of people in the world are not living um, prosperous lives right now. Right, More people right. in the world have access to cell phones than toilets. Mm -hmm. um, and to think that because developed economies didn't do it right the first time, mm -hmm. we're going to gut the consumption and lifestyles that billions of people around the world have just within their grasp, right. I think is unethical. And there is an argument to be made for a just transition to a circular economy. Mm -hmm. But even here in America, we have much more poverty than even we want to admit. And we certainly don't let the world know about it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole element that we can talk around on that. But definitely want to give the shout out that this is not going to be solved with the wealthy left making a few separate choices. Yep. <laughs> this is a shift. Totally. That will be global. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So a couple things in there because, and again, common themes that a lot of people are talking about is supply chain resiliency. And, you know, you touch on that in shifting things to where we're kind of going into looking at the world as one big 
supply chain and now revisiting that with a local, regional, global kind of concept, right? So yep. you can build in some multiple input paths and multiple output paths, right? So that's one, I think it's a trend that's happening. But back to the circular and sustainability though, um, and especially with enterprises in particular, it, well, first and foremost, you know, one of the things that I, I first, I, I just don't even think a lot of enterprises even, they hear the term circularity, they hear sustainability, but they don't even get it, right? They don't even understand it. So one question I would like to have you differentiate here just, just, just for conversation is difference between circularity and sustainability. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so in sustainability, it's typically, especially with in supply chains, it's typically expressed across three elements. Mm -hmm. You got your money, Mm -hmm. You've got, um, I'll call it ethics Mm -hmm. and the environment. And, you know, it's interesting. I actually came across, I got into a discussion, I think episode one uh, with uh, James George from the Ellen McCarthy Foundation. And he doesn't like the word sustainability because he doesn't want to sustain the current way of living. And I agree with that. However, Mm -hmm. I was reading The Performance Economy by Walter Stahel And he says the first time sustainability was ever written down and used that we know of uh-huh. was actually a guy from a mining company who needed timber to support his mining operation. So he uh-huh. went out to the forest that was local uh-huh. and did a big study of the trees and growing times and said, this is as many trees as we can cut down uh-huh. to continue to have access to this timber forever to sustain our mining operation. Uh-huh. And he called that sustainability. Right. So it's not a, um, it's not a do not use natural resources, although there can be an argument made for that. Uh-huh. It's that it has to be done in a way that allows that natural resource to continue to flourish. And when yeah. we talk about renewable materials like wood, right. there's a lot of choices that we can make uh, around the types of woods and how quickly it grows. Um, so those three big elements uh-huh. uh, make up sustainability. Uh, yeah, sustainability. Okay. Now, I argue that circularity uh-huh. really focuses in on the money uh-huh. and the environment. Uh-huh. Now, again, I will get messages, I'm sure, that says, oh, ethics has to play a role. I agree with you. I think it's a byproduct of keeping those supply chains regional, like I mentioned uh-huh. before. Uh-huh. But that's not the, if you think about a three-way Venn diagram, somebody just posted a great diagram online, actually, that shows the three of these. Okay. And it's those, those overlap between the money and the environment um, yeah. that differentiates. Right, right. I think. No, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. And I think these are the things that are going to get crystallized, right? Where you know, even in that chart I showed you, you know, and, and I agree 100%, um, sustainability, to your point, is about, you know, not depleting to zero, whatever it is that you're using. And things do grow back, they, you know, that's fine, that's one thing. But that's sort of the, the overarching, I don't know if I want to call it KPI or kind of measurement or thing or goal or whatever objective of what the circular economy does within, right, this, this, this world, right? I mean, sure. it leads to sustainability because you aren't consuming as rapidly the things like you're not, if you're reusing paper or, you know, for then you're not depleting the forest of the trees. Right. Circularity is a means to become sustainable. Yep. Right. Um, yep. And then also within circularity, I think, and again, this is the part that just blows me away is, I, you know, it's just, it's just a lack from what I've seen. It's a lack of understanding that these are even options. 
right? I mean, it's just it's just that no one's bothered to go spend. So I, you know, I had a chance to sit down with someone who runs a smelting uh, facility or whatever here in North America, and I think there's only a few of them, right? Which I was not, which I was surprised to find out. And he was telling me that you know, they get metals like, I'll say copper, for example, melt it down, turn it in. You know, it's not your uh, carbo, carbon fibers that have been, you know, uh, uh, flame retardant or whatever yeah. that's hard to kind of <laughs> reuse. But, you know, copper melted down or aluminum or whatever. He says the copper that he melts down and then produces, which makes all the sense in the world, has to meet international metallurgic standards, right, right. That, are, that are preset. So the, the qualitative difference between copper that's been mined out of the ground versus copper that's been recycled is zero. There is no difference, Correct. right? Correct. They are identical. Yep. And the recycled copper is like half, 60, 70% less than pulling it out of the ground. So I was like, okay, I, I'm sitting here with this guy and I'm like, okay, I'm missing something. Like it's, 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 it's the same quality. It's infinitely cheaper. What's the problem? Why aren't people using this? And, it, and this was the killer. It was number one, he didn't have access to enough supply to meet the demand. So companies weren't willing to take the risk that they would get shorted on right. the supply that they right. pulled from this, the smelting, even though it's one of the biggest in the country, right? Well, that's what I'm saying, that we're in this strange tween stage where the demand and the supply aren't right. It's a market failure. I mean, yeah, the yeah, absolutely. completely just not there yet, right? Right, right. And, but the flip side is, I was like, okay, so on the one hand, there's two parts of this equation. One is the supply. So how is it that you don't like, like people, and it's just like, I, I have to go hunt and scrape and peck to go find this stuff. And I'm like, right. this stuff's getting liquidated all the time, like to the yep. tunes of trillions of dollars. He's like, yeah, I don't know where it is. The heartbreaking part it. too is a lot of it is getting burned. Correct. And so I just want to give a shout out to people. The concept of burning trash for power yeah. is like not great right. because you can never get that material back again. Exactly. You just turned it into carbon. I hate to say it, but that smoke is not going to be recycled very quickly here. It's gone someplace, right. but gosh, that's even more difficult to use than ocean plastic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, right. so a little yeah. shout out. Don't, yeah. don't think that's the greatest solution, everybody. We need the trash. Right, right. Well, that's the ironic part, right? It's like you think you're doing good because you're burning it. It's like, no, 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 We actually you want to recycle that, right? Because it's actually infinitely better. In, you know, you actually are going to drive better sustainability. In fact, that smoke is actually contributing more greenhouse gas. It's actually more destructive than actually what you're doing. It's even well, worse. Even, here's also a shout out. Somebody please go Google the butterfly diagram yep. um, and you'll see this. Recycling is the path of last resort for circularity. You actually want to leave a thing as itself for as long as possible. Yep and stop throwing shit away yep. isn't needing to be thrown away. Yes, correct. <laughs> and there's a bunch, like six loops that we could do, six options on a material before you actually recycle it. <clears throat> because recycling is just incredibly um, resource intensive. Correct. And we don't have, again, go back to that regional concept, we just don't have that type of capacity to recycle in a way that is act that actually makes sense for the material. So right. anyway, also plug two plugs. One, yep. stop burning stuff. Two, yep. stop throwing shit away. Yeah, hey, all right. I mean, that's like hey, if you if there was two, you know, two two singular messages just to come out of this thing, those are the bullet point things, right? Here's the headline: Don't burn shit. Don't throw shit away. <laughs> yeah. Well, not also. <laughs> I it was on another podcast um, with Tom Raftery from SAP. Digital. Yeah, of course. He was also saying like, you know, there's no way, like. Where are you throwing it to? It's not right. a way. Right, right. <laughs> it goes somewhere. Right, yeah. right, right. It so, just disappears. Yeah, like magic. Just like, right. just like your items magically appear on the shelf. Right, the grocery right, store. right. They, right. It's magically your plumbing works. Magically, all this stuff just happens. <laughs> magically, electricity just turns on. Right. I mean, what it's a amazing, world! Right. What it's a amazing. World so, so, so 
leap forward a little bit here. Um, so kind of, again, looking forward, looking in this sort of COVID world, I mean, you know, and again, this is just top of mind, so it'd be silly for you not to ask the question, but, you know, COVID's obviously hit everybody, every corner of the planet. How has it impacted the mission to drive circularity and sustainability into this evolving supply chain? Like, what's, what, 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 what's your observations on what COVID's done in the conversations you're having? You know, I have seen a lot of social media on um, when the bending the curve graphs started coming out. Mm-hmm. And then people would overlay with an argument for the environment. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that was 100% the best way to bridge between sustainability and business. Right. Um, I think the best we can do now is use COVID as the burning platform to actually talk to each other. I see mm-hmm. resistance from the business community towards circularity for a lot mm-hmm. of the reasons we've said and for unknown reasons, just mm-hmm. it's new, it's different, it's hard. It doesn't sound sexy. It's not a digital transformation. How am I going to get $200 million to go and invest on this? Mm-hmm. The business folks are having a hard time. The circularity folks often born out of a sustainability background are often rejecting the whole of the current economy because quote, it's what got us here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm seeing this unwillingness mm-hmm. to try to talk to each other in a way that actually solves a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we solve this? I don't know. I would love mm-hmm. to hear your ideas. Maybe we can lock people in a room together and we're all locked inside anyway right now. So maybe now right. is the time to really put some thinking power and to try to solve an actual business problem together. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get stuck in these, these circular, not the right use of the word here, but circular, not productive right. discussions on a philosophical basis. Right. What can actually really help is to take the number one problem your business is trying to solve today mm-hmm. and introduce an option of circularity as a strategy, not mm-hmm. as a goal, as yep. an actual strategy to achieving time, cost, or quality, whatever your goals are today. And I think that can start to make this a more tangible, understandable um, tool and lever for mm-hmm. businesses. But they have to talk to the circular folks, and the circular folks have to talk to the business folks. And the businesses that are getting this right are saving billions of dollars. So who's, let, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Who, who's, your, who, who's your poster child for this? Who, who do you look at and kind of give the case study? Like, this is what's the art of the possible. So I'll give three that come to mind, two consumer goods, both mm-hmm. Procter & Gamble and Hankel. Mm-hmm. Um, just spoke with Hankel. I highlighted many of their accomplishments in a paper that just came out from Picera Global. Um, and they've been doing this for 20, 25 years. So they're well sold on the value of running the business towards a model that doesn't produce waste. Mm-hmm. Procter & Gamble switched uh, 10 years ago, maybe 11 by now, mm-hmm. um, to a zero waste policy. And that's often how, it, how circularity is expressed in the U.S. And I've had several conversations with non-U.S. based folks um, and asking why is America so obsessed with zero waste? And I, I think, to be honest, it sounds good and it's easy to grasp. Um, That's my own flaw. That's Mm -hmm. my own perspective. But they went to a zero waste um, and they've saved or um, deferred $10 billion uh, for the company. Okay. So there's two good ones. There's also, of course, Renault in France, a long time uh, car example, um, where they've made a tremendous amount of money on um, refurbished engines that still have the mark of like new. Now, when they started doing this, that was like crazy for cars. But now most cars, you can get, you know, like a BMW certified dealership. Now we have Apple certified 
refurbishing areas for your phones, et cetera. So they still get that mark, um, that back of quality. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I answered your question at all. I just went off on example. No, you did. And that's exactly, I think the, 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 the point in all of that though is again, the common theme here is how to make circularity and sustainability objectives practical. How do we turn it into something that the business can say, okay, this isn't just a nice to have. I'm just going to go out and feel good and reach my Zen state and meditate and stuff. It's actually going to not only help the business, number one, right? But in turn, like you said, and are espousing this, this is a good business practice. This is, this, this is, this is good for your margins. This is good for your bottom line results. This is not, it, it the benefit is that it, it leads to sustainability, right? And that's the conversation that I think is missing in here. This isn't, this isn't just a nice to have, like connect, connect to my, connect my profitability, please. Totally. Here's the kicker. So there, one of the first examples of industrial symbiosis, which is the precursor is the hyper-local version of a circular economy is called industrial symbiosis. The first one is the Kallenberg symbiosis in Denmark operating since the seventies, saving the companies who co-locate their factories about a hundred million dollars a year. Now they swap. Mm-hmm power and energy and water and resources. Great. Now the U S chamber of commerce commissioned a study and they looked through the East coast and they found over 300 materials, 12 that were super viable to actually set up a regional uh, industrial symbiosis, otherwise known as a circular economy. And they said that the business case was there um, everything that needed to be there was there. What they were missing was a vocal champion. Okay. That's it. They needed somebody to give a shit. Right. Right. That's it. Isn't that heartbreaking? So yeah. I don't know, Richard, maybe it's not that they're missing a financial argument. They're missing somebody to lead. Right. Right. Which leads to what you guys are doing. You and Sherry are doing, you know, Woo! getting in front of these people, right? Driving this, driving this conversation. So have you noticed, well, I'm sure it's too early to tell right now, but have you noticed any uptick in the requests coming into you for this kind of consulting? Like, is there any demonstrable shift yet? Because I'm sure it's coming. If if you haven't seen it, it's it's probably knocking at your door, right? That portends kind of this shift that's happening. You know, we are seeing a, I'll be transparent. What we're seeing is a bunch of communication using COVID in the name mm. without a lot of thought put in to how COVID relates to anything. Right. It's like, it's the sexy term right now. So if you put it on something, it'll get views. Yep. Yep. Um, but I have not seen a huge number of discussions around meaningful impacts and meaningful steps to take. Now there are a subset of discussions Um, that we are in the middle of Mm -hmm. that are saying, let's not do a shiny object syndrome. Let's do a systematic shift Mm -hmm. of supply chains Mm -hmm. for any disruption. Um, And this is where we can play to the SDGs. We can play to circularity. We can play to um, diversity and inclusion uh, in the way that we're going to show up at work quote, tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, ideally we'll hold on to some of what we're in today. And an example I'll, I'll give, I'll shout out for um, an inclusive workplace and people mm-hmm. often just put D and I together, but they're mm-hmm. different, mm-hmm. Um, is the fact that we're all calling in often from home. Yep. And so now we have this unbelievable equalizer um, that's making the workplace conferences, ability to keynote, 
um, much more inclusive than it ever has been before for a whole range of folks. So mm-hmm. anyway, I'm off topic, but you gave me a mic. So I yeah, no, I, yeah you got to get, I you got to jump in, right? You got the soapbox. Go, <laughs> go. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, so, so, so kind of begin coming back into it, right? So it's, it's kind of looking forward now coming out of COVID, you know, clearly supply chain is everything right now. If it, if it, it was already top of mind, right. But this is, this is the, kick off the ledge, right? Hey, hey, you got to, you know, this is old school, you know, you want to learn to swim, get thrown in the deep end, right? You'll yep. figure it real fast. We're in the deep end, right? Yep. We just got thrown in, <laughs> right? And now you have to figure out how to do it. And people are asking, people are literally clamoring for supply chain leadership. Where do I turn? What do I do? How do I do it? <clears throat> and you guys are in the middle of all this and, and, and it's like, okay, the conversation is open-ended. You know, I, it's almost like we're starting at, you know, I don't want to say ground zero, but it's like, okay, now all of a sudden the CEO or the CFO is saying, all right, yeah, I've heard about you guys, but yeah. get it now. Okay. They come do down to the basement and like, yeah, right, right, right. They open the door and they're <laughs> like, what's in behind you? He's like, this is who's buying my third, you know, $30 billion worth of stuff. I didn't even wow. know. Yeah, like, oh my God. Um, I so- thought you guys were run by an algorithm. <laughs> Automated. And I thought you only did procurement. Oh my gosh, yeah. you do operations, you do disposition. Wow, there's a whole business here. Holy crap, you guys are busy. Um, so, so kind of again, looking at, we're kind of winding down here a little bit, but look forward a little bit. Like, what's what do you see coming out? Maybe not just this year, but you know, next six months, next twelve months. What are the big things that you're seeing that's going to be top of mind? Not only for what the conversations that you're having, but across the industry, what do you what do you think is going to really kind of land home and start us right? I mean, I think we're started. I think the energy is there, but what really practically speaking is going to kind of launch this full? So, my hope for mm-hmm. the field is instead of meeting this too late to the party call from the rest of the organization, instead of meeting that with frustration or it's about time or and I told you so dance right. Use this as a time to be an ambassador for the field. Mm-hmm. Be excited about supply chain. Show mm-hmm. the value in understanding how the dots connect. Um, I had a team once who would get so frustrated with the sales team that they just didn't get it. They'd come so frustrated from SNOP meetings. They'd say, they just don't get it, Deborah. And mm-hmm. I'd say, well, thank God, because you have a job. Right. Your job is to continue to explain these concepts that seem so simple to you. And they're uh-huh. simple to you because you're a supply chain professional. Right. right. <laughs> Congratulations. Right. So what I'm hoping is that we can create, again, create a bridge uh-huh. between the world of running the world uh, and the other bits. And I so nonchalantly call the rest of business the other bits. Right. Um, very tangibly, I see more folks getting excited and interested in supply chain. And I'm hoping we'll also see a shift. So I broadly put two categories. There's supply chain operations, mm-hmm. moving stuff around, storing stuff, buying stuff. And then there's supply chain management. Inventory management, you somehow managed to get me all the way through without nerding out on, on inventory. Well mm-hmm. done. Inventory management, data management, performance management, partnership management, etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that we can have some motion from operations into management mm-hmm. and get some additional thinkers over on the management side. Um, and a general influx. And I, I think, um, I think that's a really exciting place for the world to be. And at some point the world of supply chain will have to break down into smaller areas because we're already sitting at about 40% of America's workforce as the largest space. Yeah. So at some point this will break down, but for now it's one big, great, happy party and everybody's welcome. Just don't be a jerk. 
right. a long good time. Come together. in, have a good conversation, right? So, so what, what, one thing, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll kind of wind up, wind up on this one, but what you made me think of as you were describing that, which I think is a very, very well put, very eloquent way of kind of describing some of the challenges that supply chain professionals have had in dealing with the rest of the organization is that, that they have to explain, right? Things that they just, they've been doing for 20 years, the sales, the marketing, or the operations, or the finance people, just they don't, right? You got to remember that. So what made me think of that is it's almost in, in a way, and another hat I wear is product management, right? You, supply chain is a product, right? And in product management, the key artifact that you use to kind of rally around is the roadmap. Mm-hmm. So what if supply chain <clears throat> actually laid out a roadmap, you know, and thought of themselves as a product service and their client was the whole business, right? That way they have to get into that articulation that is fundamental to product management, right? Where you're, you're really having to rally around, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, and get stakeholders, you know, make, take a different approach to it, right? Because clearly you have to do things differently. But I think you're, you're on to something, right? Where it's now's the time, the supply chain professional can shine right now, right? And if you want to get into supply chain, now is the time to be in supply chain. Definitely. And as a product manager right now, I will push back just a little on you and yep. say the supply chain does have a roadmap. Yeah. What I'm hoping now is that people will actually listen to it yep. uh, and point. maybe even fund it. I yep. don't know. That yep. would be great. But my perspective is that they have that roadmap out there. Yep. And right now they're having to do crazy amounts of internal cost cutting just to fund their own uh, projects down the line. So Fair hopefully point. we can shift um, circular economy can help your supply chain no longer be just a cost center, also be a revenue stream. Check it out. Yes. I love it. Calling. Let's have a discussion. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, on that, definitely running out of time. This has been amazing. And lit- as always, an hour just flies by, right? I mean, I was even trying to say, oh, yeah, let's make this 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Impossible. So I hope to come back again. We'll share some podcasts. But this has been great. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. It's been great. 